Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Our reading today comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. Thanks for listening. God bless you this day. Today our lesson comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and you and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard your complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, and Omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathered more, some less. But when they measured it with an Omer, those who had gathered much had nothing left over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we know Las Vegas is a great food city. Some people don't think so, but I do. 
We have just about anything that you could desire to eat, from Michelin star fine dining on the Strip to dive bars and drive throughs We have classic steakhouses and the freshest seafood you can find, fresh shipped from the coast, of course. But it's not all shrimp cocktails and buffets anymore. Sorry. I love trying new restaurants, though, and uh, hearing about others' experiences dining out in our fair city. And when you have a great meal, you tell someone about it, right? You go back again. Maybe it becomes a tradition. When your dining experience is not so great, then you tell everyone about it. Oh, some folks just love to let you know when things are not to their liking. Not in the church, of course. But there are multiple groups on social media just for dishing on your favorite dishes around Las Vegas. They're looking for the best bar, the best Philly cheesesteak, the best place to take their family member who just turned 21. Some folks love to argue about what's good and what's great and what's terrible. So I know when you're expecting you know, that five-star service and you're paying those prices, things should be just right. But food is personal. We all have our preferences, and sometimes we want things done our way, the right way. And when it goes wrong, we can get downright mean. Well, you hear the reading today, Moses is playing Mater D in Exodus. He's already led the people out of Egypt after God served up ten plagues and showed Pharaoh who was really in charge. People even left with clothing and silver and gold from the Egyptian people who rushed them out of town and into the wilderness, into the desert to prevent their own deaths. So by the time they reach the general proximity of Mount Sinai, it's been about six weeks, and the food is running out. People are getting hungry and angry. That's right, they're getting hangry. You felt that way before, right? You do not want to mess with someone when they're hangry. The people complained to Moses. He is, after all, the one who led them out of Egypt and You know where they toiled under hard labor and gave up their own sons, worked themselves to death. But at least there was food. People say they would have rather died in Egypt than to have to face death by starvation. And it was all Moses' fault. This story, it's a continuation of a story of freedom, of deliverance of Israel from Egypt by God's hand wasn't just Moses, right? It was God working through Moses. And God was still working to deliver the people in the wilderness. Once they left Egypt, they still had some learning to do. There in the desert, they wandered for 40 years. They were learning. I've always wondered about that. Why did it take so long? I know there were no GPS units, no iPhones. They were on foot. And I know a trip always takes longer when you have kids with you. But God was teaching. God was healing. God still had something to do out there in the desert. Walter Brueggemann gives a lens to see this story as a story of healing. Where in the wilderness, Israel was freed from the diseases of Egypt. We read that in Deuteronomy later on. Uh, It's actually named as ulcers, scurvy, and itch. But also... Diseases of scarcity, the longing for accumulation and monopoly. 
When in the wilderness, God gave people water to drink and food to eat, God was healing them from reliance on Pharaoh's economic system, reliance on a system of injustice that kept them in slavery for the sake of Pharaoh's fear and anxiety about power. God was showing them there could be another way, another way to live as God's people, and God was working to heal them from the hurt and pain of the past. That trauma takes time to get over, too. When we've suffered for a long time, we we don't just break habits. Habits take a long time to build, don't they? It can be hard to see another way of being. Did you know we have more than a dozen 12-step groups that meet at this church right here where people gather and they find freedom from disease and abuse and the pain of their past? It's happening right here, learning and healing happening here at Living Hope. Daniel Erlander picks up this story in a wonderful book called Manna and Mercy as a lesson in the wilderness school about who God is and how God is teaching humanity to live in loving and balanced relationship with God, with each other, and with nature. It begins with God hearing the people's grumbling. We have a God who hears same God who heard the cries of Israel in Egypt hears them now. doesn't matter where they are, God can hear them. So we already knew God as creator and liberator. Now we see God being the one who can sustain the people through this wilderness journey. And God gives what they need most. Food, the basics, the necessities of life. But it's not a Vegas buffet. This flaky white stuff on the ground in the morning, they're confused by it. Like, what is this? And I was talking to someone earlier about some folks try to explain this as, well, it is a natural phenomenon. This happens in a certain place of the world where the dew dries up and you can gather it and eat it, and that's great. So we can explain it. Does that make it any less of a miracle? No. God made this stuff. And it can be gathered up into bread, and and the the good news is, too, it tastes sweet. Scripture says it tastes like wafers with honey. Might not be five stars, but sounds good to me. It sustains them for the day, one day at a time. They are to gather what is needed for that one day, no more, no less. Their expectations were changed. We're not just sitting around by the flesh pots and filling our bellies. They had to trust that God would give bread day by day, today and again tomorrow. Well, we know that here, right? Every Sunday we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. We acknowledge that all we have comes from God, that God is the bread owner and the bread giver. It all belongs to God. And we receive it, and we know we can trust God. Day by day, trust takes time, takes patience and a willingness to humble oneself. Well, I only eat the finest of bread. Craig Kester of Luther Seminary says that to live by manna is to live by faith, to believe and trust that the God who gives will continue to give. I know you know we have free meals here every, every day, Monday through Friday, Seniors 60 and up, they can come and eat for free. Doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you're doing or why you're here. You come, you eat, 
for free. 2 p.m. We'll see it. We'll see you tomorrow. People get fed here. Thanks be to God. But the bread didn't just show up on the plate, right? They didn't just wake up one morning and go, oh, look, somebody made some bread. No, they had to go out and collect it. They had to gather it up. And whatever this stuff was, this what is it, this manna, gather it up. It was what was needed to make the bread. And the quail came up and they covered the camp in the evening. But the people still had to go out and get it. They must have been everywhere. And I can just picture them You're running around. Look at all these quail. And they're chasing them around like Jacob chases the ducks at the park. Maybe you scoop them up in a net. Maybe you got to get an arrow. What do you get, a trap? There must be a quail trap out there somewhere. The people had to go out and get them to have the meat. They had work to do. Think about this. What would it have meant to those people who had worked to build Pharaoh's storehouses, who had made bricks without straw, who were forced to work their whole lives and earn nothing, to now work for their daily meals, for their own sustenance? This work had meaning. It had dignity. They were in a working partnership, helping God meet the needs of all the people. Work itself had been transformed. Well, we see work often as just a means to an end, a way to earn money, to buy the things we desire. I remember one of my first jobs was riding my bike to the local movie theater down the street. It was meaningful because, of course, I got to see movies for free and the popcorn, but it, but it gave me independence, too. I could leave my house for a few hours and the many, many human beings that lived there. I could get out and go do my own thing and even ride over on my lunch break to buy my food, to receive a paycheck. I might have even saved a little. I know my mother took me to open a bank account. The work was fun and I enjoyed it. And I know that if our work has meaning, it becomes less about the money. It becomes about other things. We will do better. We do it as a part of our lives, a part of our character. Provides independence, meaning, and growth. Not just for us, right? But for people around us. When work is good, it can be something good for others. So in gathering what they need, the people are commanded not to take more than is needed. More than they can eat in a day. If they collect more, it's going to rot. There's worms in that bread. Read that in Exodus verse 20, chapter 16. So each family group gathered up their own portion. Some needed more, some needed less, but it was always the right amount. All had enough. No one had too much. God gives just enough. God gives what is needed. God is a giver. God is a liberator. God sustains us every day. Dwayne Preby, one of my favorite seminary professors, said, If God stopped sustaining the earth, it would be no more. God sustains us every day. And still, it doesn't take much to look around and see that most of us are still stuck in a system that causes us to hoard, causes others not to have what is needed. Many are without dignified work. And far too many lack access to what is needed most. The planet suffers, and we all suffer when the world is out of balance. So God must still be trying to teach us, still working on us, to deliver us from Pharaoh's economy. 
Jesus teaches the lesson to his followers too. Ask God for what you need. It will always be enough. Give what you have to those who need it. Learn and build a habit of following this way of life faithfully. God keeps teaching this lesson that began so long ago. Look up and listen. Notice what's going on. Find out what you need and what others need. We, were, we heard it just a few weeks ago. Abraham found a ram in the bush for the sacrifice. Another bush was burning. Moses looked up and noticed. Heard God calling. Through the learning, through God's healing us, we can reframe our perspective, be renewed, learn to trust in God. When we do, we find that we have all we need and we have more to give. We find that we are created and liberated and sustained by God and everything, everything is made new. We get to see how well God has provided and know how God has truly served and saved us, all of us. And here, in this place, we receive the true bread of life. That is Jesus. It's the best bread. It's given by God in just the right amount. It is always enough. Amen. Amen.